Good morning. Welcome to First Baptist Church. We are so glad that you are here with us this morning on this beautiful February day before the squall comes in. It is a great day to praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. It's a great day to praise the Lord. Amen. 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 Let's stand and praise him together.
that's above every name, and at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God, the Father in heaven. Aren't you glad for that? Amen. Blessed is the name, but blessed are you when you confess him as your Lord and Savior before you meet him face to face. Uh, that's the best time to do it. One day, everybody will. Hitler will bow before him. Uh, and confess him as Lord. Stalin will bow before him and confess him as Lord. Paul Pott will bow before him and confess him as Lord. Every single atheist, Madeline Murray O'Hare, will bow at the feet of Jesus Christ and confess him as Lord, God of glory. I'm so glad you're here this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity and privilege that's ours to come into your house today. God, we pray that whatever was worrying us, whatever was uh, occupying our thoughts, that that you would lift those burdens, that you would take those cares from us, that you would take them upon your omnipotent shoulders and bear them away. Father, may we confess our sins to you. May we believe in you with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength. May we, Lord, this morning on this dedication Sunday be prepared uh, to do something of substance for you this year in 2024. God, there's 11 months left. May we dedicate all 11 months to you, we pray. Forgive us of our sins. Thank you for each person here, for members, for attendees, for, for visitors, for uh, everybody who's watching by way of YouTube and uh, Facebook. Lord, may they get a blessing uh, because of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And if you are a first-time guest, we're so honored to have you here at First Baptist Church, Coronado. And we were talking this morning, isn't it? Isn't it something to live in a place where when it gets 56 degrees, we go, oh, that's cold. <laughs> I'm watching on Facebook, people pour pitchers of water out and they freeze in a spiral before they hit the ground, you know, and, and I'm thinking, holy cow, we get, it's 56 and it, oh, it's poor, and it gets like an 85 and somewhere like, oh, it's so hot. That's like a frigid day in El Paso, Texas, I'll tell you right now. We're glad you're here. If you're a first-time guest here at First Baptist Church, I would ask you to do me a favor. Take one of these cards. They're in the seat backs. If you're in the front row, obviously, they're behind you. But go ahead and take one of these uh, cards and fill it out. And then if you turn it in, give it to us or put it in the offering box in the back by the double doors. That's where our members put their tithes and offerings. You put those in there. I will uh, send you a, a gift card for just going through the, the agony of having to fill out your name and giving us the information. So please fill that out. Come back and be with us again very, very soon. A couple of announcements today. We were going to have communion, but because of the, de the Sunday dedication Sunday uh, and the cards we're going to fill out, we're going to move the communion service to next Sunday so we give it the attention it needs instead of trying to hurry things up. Uh, so that'll be next week. But this week, after the services, military meal on the patio. They're going to be cooking up some stuff. I saw them bringing in the groceries, and uh, I offered to sample everything they're taking in, uh, but so far, no luck. Um, Bible studies Tuesday night, navigators right here. What time? 6 p.m. Yeah, food there also? All right, food and both spiritual and physical food. And then Wednesday, Bible study fellowship. What time, Nicole? 10 o'clock right here. And then men of resolution, what time? 6 to 8. 6 to 8. All right, Terry. And then Thursday, Nancy Trotter's ladies' Bible study, 10.30. And then David Waitley here. What time, David? 
530, do you have food also? You can tell these are Baptist groups. Someone says, what do you have to do to go to heaven? You have to be saved, and you have to have a 9 by 10 casserole plate, <laughs> casserole dish. to be uh, Friday, ladies' meeting, what time? 10. 10. All right. So that covers the week. Next Sunday, special message. Before we get back into the life of Christ, chronological study of the life of our Lord, going to do a special lesson on how to witness for Christ, how to win someone to the Lord. Uh, because, you know what, that ought to be one of the main things that we do. We had a presentation, Andy presented the Kairos ministry, which we'll be talking about a little bit later on. I found out you baked a hundred dozen cookies. Was your husband lying, or did you really do that? And had some friends that helped. Okay, but uh, and old prayed over each cookie. Only certain cookies. <laughs> Bo, you're giving me all this misinformation. 150 dozen. So if you're going to lie, you may as well make it really good. Yeah. And what happens is they take these cookies in. They go into the prison down here, Donovan Prison. Uh, they have a service. They have, they have, is it three days? Four days services. And, uh, and when, when the, the part that really moves my, my heart, and it does even as I think about it right now, these guys that come in who are in prison, a lot of them have never been loved on, never been appreciated, never been told they're worth anything. And when they come into the room for the first day, uh, all of the volunteers stand around and start clapping and applauding and, and yell, shouting and yelling. And these guys just, some of them just openly start weeping, right? Because it's the first time they've ever felt appreciated. So we're going to have an opportunity, gentlemen, for you to go into the prison on the last day. Uh, some of you belong there. This is the ministry you ought to have. <clears throat> I know you well. And uh, so, but you could go in on that last day and have a ministry with some of these guys and others, ladies, maybe you could cook a bunch of cookies again and pray over everyone and that whoever eats, and they, they don't get homemade cookies in prison. So it, it's meaningful. And then our kids even, so Sunday school teachers and workers, um, they'll have placemats that you'll color and write little love notes on uh, and Yeah. Women and men can go what? Oh, oh, really? Okay, okay. Okay, and we'll tell you more about that as it comes up. But that was a great presentation yesterday, an opportunity for you to get involved. So how to witness for Christ is important to know. Ladies Retreat, March 1st through 3rd. Jamie Woods is the speaker. Register today at the table. Annabelle will be at the table after services. It's $150. The church is sponsoring $42, so it's actually $192. But church is going to pay 42 to invest in you, ladies, to be able to go to this. Uh, you'll have two to three people per room, ladies per room, and that'll take care of your food, lodging, and a great time. Uh, God Loves You uh, seminar with Franklin, not seminar, uh, uh, crusade, coming to Chula Vista, March the 9th. These are on the back table right here by the baptistry. Grab those. If you want to take a couple to give to somebody as invitations, uh, Franklin Graham, an opportunity to hear him right in Chula Vista. Also in your bulletin, um, there, there are three things. There's the, the outline for today's message, and then there is the uh, place you can go for a voter guide, uh, letting you know where people stand on certain moral issues. We're not endorsing candidates, though I am not above that. <laughs> I have done that specifically in 1980. I said, I can't endorse candidates, so I want you to vote for the Reagan of your choice. And uh, 
So go ahead and get that. And then also, this is the important one right here. This one right here for today, really important. This is a, a commitment card, a, a biblical worldview, First Baptist Church of Coronado commitment card, asking you to commit to ministry for one year. Not asking you to commit for the rest of your life, though I hope it becomes the lifestyle, serving the Lord, serving people, but asking you to commit. Uh, and there are several topics, reading your word of God daily, praying daily, attending church on Sundays. That's the first part. Second part is maybe volunteering, using your talents for children's ministry, helper or teacher, sound or computer booth, uh, ministry, praise team up here, maintenance help, uh, hospitality, VIP greeter like Peter was doing today, uh, or maybe, and commit your treasures, begin giving systematically, begin tithing. I will begin giving offerings above the 10% for missions, building, whatever, and I commit to getting out of debt. And if you will fill this out at the end of the service, uh, then we're going to collect those up as a matter of dedication and, and personal sacrifice and obedience to the Lord. And I have extra ones up here. So if uh, I know there's some couples, maybe the, lady, the ladies and men would want to fill out different ones. So we'll have extra ones right up here and we'll make those available for you. But let's stand together as we continue to worship our Lord in song. And again, thank you for being in God's house today.
is Christ. You are rich. You are rich. Go ahead and be seated today. We're glad to have you here. Ask all the boys and girls from First Baptist Church on your way to your class to stop by right up here in the front. Let me talk to you for a minute. As your preacher, you're going you're gonna to like this, maybe. 
Maybe not. How many have your, the Word of God with you today? The sword of the Spirit? Let me see your hand. Let me see them up. Okay. All right. Electronic or hardbound or whatever else. Thank you so much for bringing the Word. This is the important thing. What I say doesn't much matter. What this says is everything. So make sure you get into the Word of God. Romans chapter 12 is where we'll be going in just a minute. I have something here. This is, this is for you, but it's kind of for your parents too. We're talking about commitment and how to be committed. That means how to really love the Lord, how to really serve God. So I've got five ways to teach commitments to your kids. Anybody here have kids? Anybody here is a kid? Okay, all of you are kids. So here's the first way, and I'm going to have you take these to your parents here in just a minute. Assign household chores. Commitments involve work. I know you're going to love this point. I know you love to do chores, right? Love to do, yeah, wash the dishes, dry the dishes, vacuum the floor, dust the furniture. I know you love that. Whether mental or physical, every commitment requires work. When kids participate in chores, they learn the value of work. Societies can't function apart from each person committing to work and doing their job well. Secondly, enroll them in, a, in sport or music lessons. How many of you take some kind of instrument lessons? Let me see your hands. Anybody here take instrument lessons? Okay, William. Do you play the kazoo? Yeah, okay. All right. And, and how many are in sports of some kind? Soccer, baseball, football, badminton, backgammon? Okay, all right. Enroll, involve them in the decision. Let it be their, their choice in the end. Discuss the cost, the daily, weekly practices, and what's required. Thirdly, play difficult board games or put puzzles together. That teaches you to work together uh, on a, like a 500 Puzzle. Miss Pat loves puzzles. She gets them with like 10,000 pieces and they're all the same color. And I just <laughs> go do something else while she's doing that. So number four, teach your child good time management. How to use your time profitably uh, and commit to that. And then last of all, partner with them in a commitment. Be an example and accountability, the accountability they need. Sign up to be part of teaching for your church's preschools. You know what? Some of you kids could help in some of the Sunday school classes, maybe with the younger kids. So thank you for being here today. I'm going to give one, one of these to each one of you. I printed them on cardstock because to me, cardstock means they're more important than if it was just on paper, paper. So you can take these home and you can put them somewhere. You can give them to your parents. Uh, or if you want to make a paper airplane out of them, whatever you want to do. But let's pray right now. Father, we thank you for these girls and these boys and pray that you would help them to know what commitment really is and to determine, even at their young age, to be committed to you. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. And all the kids said, amen. amen. Go ahead and take them to your moms and dads on your way to your class and give them those, and they will hopefully implement some of that. And you're in... In the auditorium, you're in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, written by uh, the inspiration of God through the person of the Apostle Paul, one of many letters that he wrote in the New Testament, one of the uh, most prolific writers of the entire Word of God. The, the tests of commitment today, because when you make a commitment, everybody here has made commitments, and sometimes we haven't followed through with them. And maybe we don't understand the mechanics of why we didn't follow through with those commitments. Number one example that comes to my mind is a diet. How many have ever gone on a diet? How many have ever gone off of a diet? The rest of you are lying. 
The tests of, because things come that test our resolve, no matter what it is, whether, whether it's to be a good employee, whether it's to be married, whether it's to be, tests come along. So that's what we're going to talk about, the test of commitment, the things that derail our opportunities of, of serving God faithfully. So the definition of to commit means to pledge or bind. You pledge or bind a person, an organization, a country, uh, pledge or bind a person or organization to a certain course, policy, or person. The difference in shacking up in marriage is commitment. The difference in putting in eight hours and working your best is commitment. The difference in overcoming an addiction or more of the same is commitment. The difference in being religious or being a disciple is commitment. Today, I'm going to ask you for commitment at the end of the service. I'm going to ask you to commit to, not to me, commit to God to do certain things this year that without commitment and without uh, staying committed, you won't be able to accomplish for him. So look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I'm going to read and kind of comment on what some of these words mean in the original language. First of all, I beseech you, which means to call to the side. If I call you, I call you to my side, Apostle Paul was saying, I call you, come over here, brothers. By the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, that you place your bodies, uh, a living sacrifice or an offering to God. Holy, which means set apart. Acceptable, which is well-pleasing unto God, which is your reasonable service. And I looked up this reasonable service, and it's the word logos. If you're familiar with that word at all, uh, in the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. Uh, that's one of the names of our Savior, Logos. He is the living word. And here, this is the same word with a, with a small l. Uh, it is your reasonable service, Logos, word of reason, to serve God. And be not conformed, which means to be fashioned like or shaped like the world, but be you transformed. Another interesting word, um, metamorpho, which we get our word metamorphosis from. So you take a, a caterpillar and they, they make this cocoon and they crawl up in it and they, uh, they transform the word there, metamorphosis. They change to another form and they come out a moth or a butterfly. And so we are to be transformed, not conformed to the world, but to be changed dramatically by the renewing or the renovation of your mind that you may prove or discern what is the good and acceptable and perfect, in other words, well-pleasing also, and perfect or complete will of God. And it has the idea of denoting God's will, signifying his gracious disposition towards something. So it's what he wants us to do. Now, the, 50, the, the Christian life, uh, Christian race, is not a 50-yard dash. It's not something you do and get it over with and it's done. It's something you keep on doing and keep on doing and keep on doing and keep on doing. Neither is marriage a 50-yard dash. It is a lifetime commitment of two people, each to the other, a man and a woman committed in a covenant relationship, not only between them, but a covenant relationship between God and them. So it's very, very important. Neither is a career a 50-yard dash. Uh, now, it may take you a few tries to figure out what career it is that God made you for and what you feel challenged by and what makes you feel fulfilled by. I, I, I told Pat the other day, I would hate to have to work full-time a job that I couldn't stand. I would hate that. 
And, and you know what? Find something God created you for. And so you might have to uh, get a couple of starts, but once you find what that is, then give yourself totally to it. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved uh, brethren, be you steadfast, which is a command to be firmly established in the faith, immovable, which means temptation is not going to turn you aside, circumstances not going to turn you aside, persecution is not going to turn you aside. We've been without persecution for the most part in the United States of America for our religious beliefs, but that seems to be changing dramatically in these last few years. Uh, so knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Several years ago, I read a book called Finishing Strong. Hmm, I thought I knew who the author was. I can't remember right now, but Finishing Strong. And the, the whole premise of that book is he studied over a long period of time people who had committed their lives to the Lord in Bible college, and he checked back on them several years later. And he found something rather disturbing. Out of all the Bible college students that he knew of and that he had equated and that he had written down names for, when he, con he found out only uh, one in 10 was still faithful after several years. One in 10. So if we have 150 people here, that means maybe 20 years from now, we'll only have, we'll only have what's 10%? 15 people faithful. I won't be one of them because 20 years from now, I won't be. Uh, I won't be here. I'll be somewhere but I won't be here. So the question is, how do we become one of those 10%? And, and the fact of the matter is, I think people in churches where the Word of God is preached and where God, people are challenged by the Spirit of God and indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God and, and, and moved by the Holy Spirit of God, uh, there's more than one in 10 that stay faithful to the Lord. So when Cortez landed in North America, what did he do? Anybody know? He burned the ships. He burned the ships. So they got off, and he sent somebody back on the ships and lit them on fire and came back on, and they stood there and watched the ships burn. So his men are saying, wow, we're not going home now. <laughs> you better go forward because you're not going to be able to go back. There is no going back. Now, Luke says it this way in his gospel. Jesus said, no one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Our Lord's plan and purpose is to produce faithful people of God, men and women who keep on believing and keep on trusting in the living God no matter what, no matter how your faith is tried, no matter what you have to go through. Just trust him. So we want to examine and endure the test to try our commitments. And, and I'm thinking if we know ahead of time what some of these are, it better prepares us to fight against them. So here's the first one, the time test. Time test. What, is it, what am I talking about here? A definition might be what he has promised has not yet happened. Has God given you some promises that hasn't yet happened, that haven't yet hap happened? He's given, given Pat and I some promises, and we've claimed those promises. They haven't yet been fulfilled. So what do we do about that? Well, First Peter, Second Peter, rather, chapter 3, verse 3, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? I have been preaching for 54 years that Jesus Christ is coming back again soon. He's not here yet. Doesn't shake my belief in the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back soon. He's coming back. His, his coming is imminent. He is coming back. One of these days, he'll come back, and I'll say, nanner, 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 to those who are scoffers uh, about it. 
For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. That's what people say when they're scoffing. Things haven't continued on as they say. They've gotten worse in many ways. And so, uh, but his promise is, is thus saith the Lord is amen and amen. So this test, the test of time, tries our patience. I've got a prayer that I pray. God, give me patience and give it to me right now. You ever pray that prayer? Not how it works. We've got to trust him to fulfill his promise in his own time and in his own way. I love watches. I absolutely love watches. I don't know how many watches I have. Don't worry. Don't ask me. I don't know. I didn't count them. I don't want my wife to know how many watches I have. I've got them in different places in the house. I absolutely love watches. Guess what? God doesn't own a wristwatch. He doesn't have an alarm clock. No alarm clocks in heaven. Yay. It's up to his timing is everything. So, so we've got to trust him to fulfill his promise in his own time, in his own way. So what's the purpose of these tests of time that come? It gives us opportunity to grow in faith. Are we going to really trust him or are we not? It purifies our motives and attitudes. Are we going to uh, continue to believe or not? It shows our own works are never sufficient. You ever try to help God out with something? Yeah? You know, I'm going to try to help him get the, you know, God said this would happen, so I'm going to try to help him, you know. It's not the way it works. What we need is God working. What's an illustration of that? Abraham. Father Abraham. What a guy. 75 years old when he was called to leave Haran to travel to Canaan, and Abraham thought his servant Eliezer was going to be his heir apparent because he had no children of his own. But God had promised him a son in Genesis chapter 15, verse 4. And Abraham initially failed the test of time because he took uh, Hagar, uh, Sarah's handmaiden, uh, to be his concubine, basically. Uh, so I, I'm not sure how that came down. Sarah uh, suggested, why don't you fool around with Hagar? And I can't imagine that. And I'm sure Abraham says, uh, are you sure? Uh, yeah, yeah, okay, all right, whatever you say. 86 years old, he had a child by Hagar. Guess what? Not the son of promise. Not in God's timing. And the creation of the problems going on right now have been going on for 6,000 years or so in the Holy Land. That's direct descendant because of his disobedience and lack of faith and failing the time test. Finally, when he was 100 years old, he had a son. That's not possible. Hey, with God, all things are possible. And he had a son. And Sarah was the mother. And Isaac was the, the son that came from that. So uh, Abraham had to wait another 25 years um, to have that son uh, that was promised in Genesis 17 and Genesis 18. Real commitment. Here's the summary of this point. Real commitment to a marriage. Real commitment to a career. Real commitment to a diet. Real commitment to whatever, to the Lord must pass the test of time. So if you're serious about it, time goes by, but the resolve remains the same. Time will not change it. Secondly, there's the word test. The word test. The definition, circumstances arise whereby it seems impossible for, a God, for God's promise to come to pass. Sometimes we call it death of a vision. So God gives us an idea, 
and we think this is what God's doing, this is what's going to happen, this is how it's going to happen, and it doesn't happen that way, and so that vision kind of dies. And we get to a point where we say it can't even happen. Really, Abraham had kind of a death of vision in addition, didn't he? Because it was like, I'm going to have a son in my old age, 75, didn't have it, 76, didn't have it. 80 didn't have it, 85 didn't have it, 86 had one, not by the right woman, not the right promise, Uh, 90 didn't have one, 95 didn't have one, 99 didn't have one, death of a vision, it's not going to happen, 100, bang. Sarah says, guess what? She showed him that little thing. circumstances whereby it seems impossible. This is no accident. God, hey, do you know this? God has not forgotten his promises to us. God is not afflicted by whatever I'm afflicted with that I can meet someone five minutes later, I try to think of their name again, I can't, I don't have any idea. He's not afflicted like that. He knows each one of them. He knows the number of hairs on our head. God hasn't forgotten his promise to us. God has purpose even during our confusion. Ours, our part is to stay obedient and stay faithful, and eventually we'll see God's plan and wisdom Evidence. Now, the purpose is to get us to reject our own resources and depend solely on the Lord. One of my favorite examples of this is Joseph. You know the story, right? Joseph has two dreams, two visions, two words from the Lord. One time, all of his brother's stalks of grain, he envisions his brothers are stalks of grain. He's a stalk of grain. He stands up. All the other stalks of grain bow down to him. Now, notice at this point in time, he's the youngest son. And he's got all these older brothers bowing down to him. Well, uh, needless to say, that didn't go over very well with his brothers. They were not impressed by that. Then he talks about uh, even his parents and his brothers bowing down in the second word that he got. Uh, And so uh, at 17 years of age, he's pretty highfalutin, right? He's he thinks, man, this is going to be a great life. Things are happening. And Joseph's brothers become jealous And they decide when they see him coming afar, they decide to put him to death, to kill him. But instead, there was a caravan coming by, and they were going to Egypt, and they sold him as a common slave. He becomes a type of Christ, by the way, here, rejected by his own brothers and sold uh, for silver, and he was carried into Egypt. So that's the death of the vision right there. How am I going to, Joseph is thinking, how am I going to be the one to whom my brothers bow? How am I going to be the one to whom my brothers and even my mom and dad bow down to me? This vision that I think, that I thought was from God, how's that going to happen? Death of a vision. So he gets into Potiphar's household. Potiphar buys him as a slave, takes him into his household. And, and I mean, Joseph is so blessed by God, even as a slave, uh, that everything he touches prospers. Everything he touches for Potiphar's household prospers. And the only thing he was forbidden to touch was Potiphar's wife, and he kept evading her because she kept wanting to be immoral with him. She wanted to be immoral. She wanted to have a relation, intimate relationship with him, and he wouldn't, and he wouldn't. And so finally, one day, she caught him uh, by the coat when everybody else was gone, and he peeled out of that coat and hightailed it. Hightail is a Greek word. It means he ran like crazy. And there she was holding his coat, and she was, she, was, she was not happy. And she told her household, he tried to force himself upon me. And when her husband came home, she told him he tried to force himself 
upon me, which was, couldn't be further from the truth. Second death of a vision because he got put into prison. Now he's not even a slave in a household uh, over with responsibility. He's a, he's a prisoner. Kairos ministry wasn't around yet, right? So, uh, so there he was and, and in the prison. But guess what? God's hand was still on, jo- on Joseph. And in the prison, he's, he's blessed and he becomes a trustee. And, and he's in charge of responsibilities and the jailer sees to it. And so a little bit later on, the, the cupbearer uh, to Pharaoh and the baker to the Pharaoh come down uh, and they're thrown into prison on a whim of Pharaoh. And, and then Joseph interprets their dreams and the cupbearer is restored to his place of responsibility and the baker's <laughs> dispatched. Had his, yeah, he was killed. And so the baker said, I, I, Joseph said, let, me, let Pharaoh know I'm here unjustly. So there's, there's this opportunity. So now it's, it's death of a vision, then it's double death of a vision because now he's in jail. And now he's got this hope. Guess what? Pharaoh's going to find out I've been framed. I'm not, I don't belong down here. Does the cupbearer tell Pharaoh? Not right away. Two years ago. That's the third death of a vision. This poor Joseph, I mean, his, his vision keeps dying. But God had a plan all along. The psalmist wrote in 105, uh, verse 17, then he sent someone to Egypt ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with fetters and placed his neck in an iron collar until the time came to fulfill his, his dreams. The Lord tested jo- Joseph's character. So here's the word test. Is he going to remain faithful? Uh, Joseph's weight altogether, if I calculate it right, was about 14 years, um, and it seemed impossible. Probably, he was probably a teenager when he was taken into Egypt. So almost double his life, almost twice his lifetime, had, he had to wait uh, as God was developing his character, giving him wisdom, giving him humility. And, and even then, when he finally, this beautiful story of his family being drawn together and him being back into the family and him actually being physically involved in saving the lives of his family because of the famine that was so, so bad in, in Egypt, he never, ever retaliated against his brothers. Never got even with them. Well, he made their life miserable for a little while, I guess, didn't he? You know, let's, not, let's, let's be real about this. He was like, he, he didn't let them know he was Joseph right away. They came in, oh, we, 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 we got this dad and mom at home, and, and we, we need food, and we, we just, and he says, okay, uh, and he sells them some food, and then he puts the money back in the mouth, and in each bag of, uh, of grain, they get back home, they open up the bags of grain, there's their money back, they're like, oh, man, what in the world happened? We're, so they're agonizing a little bit, and, uh, and one, of the, one of the sons had to stay back as a, a guarantee that they would come back again, right? Yeah, he was, he was getting a little bit in, a little bit, a little bit. he's only a type of Christ. He he wasn't perfect type of Christ. But he was like, and then then he does it again with his silver chalice. And it's a beautiful story, but then he finally just can't contain himself anymore. And he openly weeps. And he never, ever, even when his father dies, he doesn't retaliate against his brothers because he said he knew God had purpose and reason for what happened. Real commitment will never give up on God's vision. Never, never give up. Never give up. 
Third thing, the character test. Which part? Joseph is part of that. Some of these have overlap. Obviously, he was of great character. He wouldn't be immoral. He wouldn't give up in, in, in the word that God gave to him. But here's the definition of the character test. We are all surrounded by, again, people ask me, preachers ask me, when are you going to leave California, you know, uh, when you're going to go to Texas or Tennessee or Kentucky or uh, get away from that crazy government that you have, you know what, where it's the darkest spiritually, the light shines the brightest. And, And the light of the gospel for the last 50 years that we've been out here has continued to shine brightly for people to see. And this is our mission field. This is where, you know, some people go to uh, Australia, some people go to Japan, some people go to uh, France, some people go uh, Egypt, some people, wherever they, God called, God called us to Southern California, and it's been our blessing to be able to be here. So definition of this, we're surrounded with all this ungodliness that tries to pull us in every direction, and, and John says it's the lust of the flesh, the, uh, the, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life kind of summarizes them. So what does all that do? It shows the fact that, that we have a weakness about us. It's unfortunately almost daily, almost daily on a national level that I read about some preacher or some Christian school teacher who has messed up morally somehow or another. Character flaws are there. And I always tell people, I think I am capable of any sin Anybody else can commit. I'm not above it. If it were not for the Holy Spirit of God indwelling me, uh, Andy, I'd be down there. You'd be coming to see me and Donovan uh, if, if people, in fact, well, there. Uh, so there's a limit to the uh, amount of confession that needs to go on publicly here. But anyhow. <laughs> We have character flaws. All of us do. I have too many. Character tests allow us to shine brightly in an otherwise dark world. One time when I was in Bible college and I was working as an orderly in the psychiatric ward, I was working. I was paid to work in the psychiatric ward. I was not an inmate. I was paid. And, and we had various duties that came in. One of the things that would come in when someone who had been uh, either overdosed or or if they were, had been on a binge with alcohol for a long time, they would come in. Some of them hadn't bathed, hadn't been cleaned up. Uh, I mean, uh, I guess like some of the street people, uh, in some cases even worse, clothes with, uh, where they had been sick and, uh, and so on. So you get the picture. Well, we had this one day, um, this older guy, I said, he was older guy, right? He was probably about 55. Uh, <laughs> funny how some things change, but he was an old farmer, and he came in in bib overalls. This is in Missouri. He came in in bib overalls, and so one of the other orderlies and myself had the duty uh, to clean him up. He had been drunk for quite a while and uh, hadn't bathed for a long time, so we need to take his clothes uh, to go through them, to uh, log in whatever is in his possession, and then to clean him up and get him some vitamin B12 shots and get him off of alcohol and get him through DTs and all that. That was one part of our job. So this, this farmer came in, and you know how many pockets are on bib overalls? Yeah. So we're kind of, you know, first pocket, we're kind of, you know, and we reach down, and there's a plastic baggie. And we'll pull, I pull out the plastic baggie, and I notice some cash rolled up. And I open the plastic baggie, and I pull out this rolled up money, 
and it was $100 bills rolled up. I can't remember how many were in that first uh, bunch, maybe three or four or five hundred dollars. I don't know. Well, the other orderly was also a college student of a secular college. I was a Bible college student, dirt poor. And we're looking at all this, and the guy we're taking care of doesn't even know his name at this point in time. And the other orderly looked at me like, God's given us an opportunity. <laughs> I said, you know what? We're going to log it, put down how, much, how many hundred dollars it was. And then we went to another pocket, six or seven hundred dollars rolled up in that pocket. Went to another pocket, another seven or eight hundred dollars. Went to another pocket, another two or three hundred dollars. I think it was around eight thousand dollars that he, if I remember correctly, that he had rolled up and put in like, like a cigarette almost and, and put in plastic bags and stuck in all these pockets. And we logged it for him. But you know what? That was, a, that was a test of character. Yeah. I was thinking, you know, I was making $2 an hour. I wasn't rolling in cash. <laughs> but that is not the way to get it, right? It's not the way to get it. The purpose is to test. And, and you know what? God will allow tests to, to come. I love these, I love these things on, on the Internet where somebody purposely drops the wallet, and somebody, you know, somebody behind them goes, picks it up, and, and they go over and tap him on the shoulder. Hey, see that camera right over there? <laughs> Test of character. So who was, Samuel was tested. He was known to be the son of godly parents. He was the last of the judges. He was the first of the prophets, and, and he was born into a very corrupt time in Israel's history. Eli, the priest, uh, was, was not the best for a lot of reasons. He had grown physically and spiritually dull and inattentive. He did not discipline his sons. And his sons would rob the people of the very best sacrifices that they would bring to the temple. He would, he would actually take them, uh, the sacrifices, for, himself, for themselves. And, and, and they'd say, no, no, we're supposed to have this as a burnt offering. He'd say, you, you take what I give you. I'm, I'm, I'm taking that. And during all of this, Samuel sought and found the Lord. He worshiped and kept himself from sin, and he could have followed the path of corruption that was set before him that he obviously was aware of, but he did not desire to. He made a commitment rather to God, rather than to follow the sins of others. And you know what he said in his last days? He said, uh, what, what of yours is found in my hands? Who of you can accuse me of taking anything from you? Let it be known right now. And no one answered him because he had, had survived the test here that was laid before him, this test of, of character. And real commitment continues even in evil surroundings. Okay, some of you, I, I, one of the reasons I love working with the police department is because... Um, I'm around Christians most of the time, right? I come to church and, you know, everybody's all smiling and happy. You know, you just had a, you just had a hissy fit on the way to church, but now you're all smiling and happy. <laughs> You've you griped and called the kids and everything, but honey, on the way here, and, and now you're all, they say, how you doing, preacher? I'm doing fine. How you doing? 
I'm glad everybody's doing fine. Yeah. And you go back and you don't talk to each other on the way home. And you know, so, so, so I understand. But, but still, you know, and very few of you, you know, cuss at me. Some of you do. And uh, I understand. But, but you know what? I get to work around people now who uh, they, they don't even know they're cussing around me or at me or to me or through me or whatever else. They, and they don't care. <laughs> And, and, and they, have, they have problems that other Christians don't have or don't admit, one or the other. And, uh, and so it gives me an opportunity around a whole different group of people to be able to minister, to be able to let my light shine, be able to uh, try to help people. So real commitment continues even in evil surroundings. You may work at the most. Okay, when, when I started, I think the first job I worked at, besides being a paper route, and besides weeding gardens for my neighbors, first job I had that was kind of a real job was working in a factory on weekends and then summers. And so this, this guy would, um, Moni Instrument Works, and he would hire, my mom worked there, he would hire students uh, for the summer, college students usually, and I decided hanging around those college students, I'm still a high schooler, I decided, you know what, the most ungodly people in the world work in factories. Because they would talk about things that I can't believe they said that. I can't believe they, I can't believe they used that word. I can't believe, they're just vile people, just <laughs> awful people. So then uh, from there, what was my, what was my next job? Um, mm, I can't remember now exactly what it was. I went to Flint, Flintcoat up in the Chicago area, uh, Chicago Heights area. Um, and they made asphalt tiles and uh, floor tiles, the old asphalt floor tiles, and roofing and all kinds. It was really dirty work, and, uh, and I worked around with them. And, uh, and then I decided most ungodly people in the world work in Flintcoat. They're just <laughs> nasty, nasty people. Then I worked at a steel processing plant for a couple of summers, and I got around those guys, and I said, you know, those guys are filthy, vile. The worst people in the world work there. Uh, and every job, it seemed, I went to went, went to another factory, toy factory. Worked there one Christmas vacation. They they were nasty as they could be. They working, and and then I went to uh, uh, the hospital. I thought finally, I'm going to be around decent people. Those nurses were nasty. Those doctors were vile. I figured out they're awful. They're, everybody's awful. The whole world stinks. Everything's bad. You don't have to be like the world. Be not conformed. Be not shaped like the world. Don't talk the same way. Don't walk the same way. I didn't start picking up their jargon and saying what they were saying. You don't have to. Be a light. Well, preacher, they, they pick on you. Oh, poor baby. If you take a stand for God and they pick on you, call me up and I'll say, oh, poor baby. Bless your widow heart. Stay committed even in evil surroundings. Number four, the motivation test. The motivation test. Definition is an examination of what influences our decision-making processes, our intentions, our thoughts, our values, our priorities become obvious, uh, and our purpose is to know and purify our inner drives. Why is it we want to do what we say we want to do? Why is it we're compelled to make that commitment to begin with? We may not always do uh, what we do for the right motives, sometimes we have the wrong motives trying to do the right things. That actually can happen. 
What's the biblical illustration of that? Balaam, and I'm not going to spend too much time on this other than um, Balak saw, Balak, a, a king in, in the promised land, saw that Israel was defeating their enemies. So he offered money to a great prophet. By the way, Balaam was a great prophet. He, he wasn't a wishy-washy guy. He wasn't a charlatan. He was a real prophet at one time, had a great reputation. And, and Balak said, I want you to come pronounce a curse on these Israelites. They've come out of Egypt, and everywhere they go, they defeat the enemy. And I'm afraid they're going to defeat us, so I want you to pronounce a curse on them. He offered him money to do so. First time, God said, don't go, so Balaam didn't go. Second time, Balaam asked. He shouldn't have asked a second time. God said, don't go, period. But he asked a second time, so this time... God says, okay, go, but you only say what I tell you to say. So he goes to the first place. Balak says, put a curse on him. Balaam pronounces this blessing. Goes to the second place, pronounce a curse on him. He goes to the second place, gives him a blessing. Goes to the third place. But, but my favorite part of the story is what happened before he gets there and gives all these blessings to God. This is my favorite part of the story. This is one of the funniest stories in the Bible. It's one of the reasons that people don't believe the Bible to be true, but I love it. He gets on his donkey, and he starts to go to do these curses upon Israel, and the angel of the Lord stands there with a sword. Balaam doesn't see it, but the donkey does. And so he crushes Balaam's foot against the wall. Have you ever ridden a mule, a horse, or a donkey? When they try to get you off, they'll run up, yeah, run up against the fence or run up against the side of the barn or so, run under a, a low-hanging branch, something. I've had all that happen. Yeah. I've had, I had one horse in Colorado that took off running across this field with gophers everywhere, holes everywhere, in a full-on, I mean, we might, I don't know how fast, however fast the horse was going, that's how fast we were going. I was pulling on the reins saying, whoa, so hard, his head was right here. He didn't speak English, evidently, because he didn't, whoa, I broke this finger pulling back so hard on that crazy thing. That next year, I, I wrote that preacher. I said, whatever happened to that? How's that horse doing? That? He said, oh, they had to shoot that thing. <laughs> Should have let me know, and I would have been glad to do it. But anyhow, so the donkey then finally just lays down on the ground, won't move, and, and Balaam's beating his donkey. And God opens up his eye, and the donkey starts talking to him. Why are you beating me? That's what I love. Donkey, why, why are you beating me? Why? You say, well, that's not possible. I don't care if it's not possible. God said it happened. I, so you, you believe a donkey talk? Yeah, I believe a donkey talk. I've heard a lot of donkeys talk in my life. <laughs> Some of them don't look like donkeys. <laughs> Woe unto them, for they have gone the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam. Balaam was enticed by these promises of riches and, and rewards. So real commitment will endure if our motives are pure. And I'm really going too far. Okay, servant test. Definition, in this test, a person is asked to do a menial task, something that might seem uh, below his high calling. And let me underscore this. No menial task is below any true servant of God. 
You know what would do us really a lot of good, and I do it every once in a while? Clean the bathrooms in the church. Clean the bathrooms. Vacuum. Dust. Straighten up stuff. I'm not above it. So, preacher, well, you, you have to. It's kind of true. I kind of have to. Uh, I don't have to, but I do because, because it needs to be done. I used to, I, I tell Selena, I used to, I say, I had a staff of counting the school staff, probably about 50 people, something like that. And I'd, I'd get together on Mondays and I'd tell everybody, here's what you need to do. And, and sometimes they'd do it, sometimes they wouldn't. Now I just meet with me on, on Monday morning. I say, that, tell myself things to do. And sometimes I do it and sometimes I don't. <laughs> same old, same old. I'm not too good to clean the toilets. You shouldn't be too good to clean the toilets. The purpose of the servant test is to see if the person's desire is to serve or be served. Jesus came to serve. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. Elijah, uh, he's plowing behind 12 yoke of oxen. Okay, if you've never plowed, 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. There's dust. There's other stuff. I won't go into the great details about what that other stuff is. And there's this spectacular view. <laughs> you, come on now, wake up, okay? <laughs> what about David? In, out in the pasture with the sheep when, when, when the prophet Samuel is at his household trying to figure out who's going to anoint to be the next king of Israel, and David's out taking care of sheep. How about Elisha pouring water on the hands of Elijah? Some people would say, Elijah, what's the matter? You, you, got bro- you have a broke arm. You can get water yourself. Wash your hands by yourself. Ministry does not end servanthood. In fact, minister, a minister means a servant. That's what it means. I am your servant. I'm here to serve you. Last point. So real commitment results in serving others, by the way. That's the end. Last point, the wilderness test. God drives us into a materially or spiritually dry and desolate place, and during those times, there appears to be no fruit in our life. There appears to be nothing good going on, maybe some bad things going on, and we question our salvation or we question our call. Probably everyone here, if you've been saved very long, has come to a point where you've questioned your own salvation, or you've questioned, maybe you were taught, you know, you get saved, you're really born again, you'll never lose it. And so you didn't question the first part, but you will question your call. Question God's purpose in your life. Jesus said, assuredly, I say unto you, among those born of women, there's not risen one greater than John the Baptist. Now, why do I bring that verse up? Because from the lips of our Savior, men born of women, as of 2,000 years ago, no one's greater than John the the Baptist. And yet, guess what happens in Matthew chapter 11, verse 3? John in prison. Again, Kairos, right? John in prison says, sends messengers to Jesus. And he says, are you the coming one or do we look for another? He's the one who said, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. 
He's the cousin of Jesus, predecessor by six months in, in, in Jesus' incarnate life. And, and, yet, and yet he comes to the point, the greatest man born of woman, and yet he says, are you really the one? Are you really the one? Are you really the one, Jesus? Or do we look for someone else? We learn things in the desert place that we wouldn't otherwise learn. Elijah was fed and watered in a desert place, First Kings chapter 17. Moses spent 40 years where? In the wilderness. Are you in a wilderness right now? Do you think the Lord's forgotten you and forgotten where you are? It may be, it's like the old civil defense warnings. By the way, on the old AM radios, there used to be these two little CD spots on the dial. Remember that? That was for civil defense. And in the case of a nuclear attack, they would say on the radio, you are dead. <laughs> Forget it. Give up. It's over. They would say that. They'd say something like, this is a test. This is only a test. They, kind of like what they do, on, I guess, on Cox Cable still every so often. It only becomes an emergency if we don't remain strong in our commitment to him. If we don't learn what God intended for us to learn in the desert place. So real commitment remains constant. In season, out of season. Uh, you've all read it. The guy wakes up, and his wife wakes up this guy in the morning and says, you need to get ready and go to school. And he's like, I don't want to go to school. I said, you've got to go to school. I said, why? Because you're the teacher. You've got to go to school. <laughs> Hardly ever do I wake up not wanting to preach. In fact, I preach in my dreams sometime. I really do. I, pre I love to preach. I love to. But real commitment remains constant. In season, out of season. When things are going well, when things are not going well. When there's distractions, when there's not distractions. When there's trouble, when there's not trouble. Test of time, test of word, test of character, test of motivation, test of servanthood, test of wilderness. Are you committed to the Lord? Will you be committed to the Lord? Will you commit to him? So can I have one of those forms, Aiden? Just one. Okay. Here's what we're going to do. I, I want you to prayerfully fill out one of these. This is going to be our invitation today. This is going to be it. So... If you don't have one of the, if you're a couple and you, you, you need another one for the husband or wife or whatever, uh, or if you don't have one at all, would you raise your hand? They're going to get up and go ahead and pass these out right now. So if you need one, just hold your hand up and keep it up for just a moment until they find out where you are. They're in the bulletin if you have a bulletin, but if you need another one, again, keep, just raise your hand up and keep it up for just a moment. Are you committed to the Lord? Will you commit are you too impatient to wait on God? Are you too faithless to endure the death of a vision? Are you too weak to maintain good character? Are you too worldly to have the proper motivation? Are you too good to be a servant and do menial tasks? Are you on the backside of the desert place too spiritually dry to produce fruit in him? I'm asking you to commit. We're to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment's like unto the greatest, and that is we're to love others as we love ourselves. So in just a minute, it should be pins and the seat backs, and if you can get those. But let's, let's bow in a word of prayer right now. And before we do this, before we fill out our, our commitment cards to the Lord for the next year, 
If you're here and you're not born again, you're not sure if you died, you'd be in heaven, I want you to make sure of that. I'm not asking you for your tithes. I'm not asking you to join the church. I'm not asking you to be baptized. I'm asking you to commit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, to trust him as your Lord and your Savior. Let him take your sins upon him and and bury them in the depths of the deepest sea. So I'm going to pray for you right now. Father, if there's anyone here who doesn't know Christ or doesn't know for sure that he's their personal Savior, all these promises we read about, all these different uh, tests of commitment maybe didn't resonate the way that they should because they don't really know you as their master and their God and their Savior, then I pray today would be, and right now would be the time when they receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. If you'd like to trust him for eternal life, you can pray to him something like this. Say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm going to die and stand before you one day, but I'm not ready yet. I want to receive your son as my personal savior. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he was buried in a borrowed tomb. I believe he supernaturally rose again, that he lives forevermore. And right now, this morning, in this place, I ask Jesus to be my savior, my Lord, my master. Dear God, save my soul, I pray in Jesus' name. With every head bowed, don't embarrass anybody, not going to point out anybody, not going to say anything. I just want to pray for you. Would you raise your hand? If you just prayed that prayer and you meant it with all your sincere as you know how to be, raise your hand up real high. God bless you and you and you. Yes, and you. God bless you. Anybody else? Thank you. Put your hands down. Anybody else along with these? Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity of being committed to Almighty God. What a privilege. What an honor. What a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to say to you, for those who just prayed that prayer, right next to the the table, right next to the sound booth as you leave, there's some blue plastic bags with materials in them. I want you to pick up one of those. Nobody's going to stop you at the door and question you or grill you or anything. It's just take one of those, take it home. There's a book in there because I'm saved. What's your next step is? And, 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 and let me say this too. If you are not saved and would like to receive Christ as your Savior, let me know. We'll be glad to talk with you. If you're not baptized scripturally since you became saved, then I want you to come uh, and let us know. We'll, we'll talk to you about how to uh, be baptized and when we can do that. If, it's, if you're interested in membership or ministry or tithing or missions or surrendering to full-time, some of you uh, young sailors might, you know, God may be tapping you on the shoulder and saying, you know what? Like, like the guy I got a, a, a note from this week, Wesley Yerkes. Uh, do you remember Wesley uh, Yerkes? He, he was in our military ministry, Donna, at Midway back in the 80s. He's pastoring a church, and his son's in, um, in a missions ministry right now. And I didn't know that, but you know what? Maybe God's tapping you on the shoulder, guys uh, and, and gals, and wanting you to prepare. Go to Bible college, and uh, we'd love for, We've got a great... I woke up a couple of people, so that's good. <laughs> I was trying to do it, but it didn't work, so... Way to go with the door there. All right. All right, so here's what we're going to do. Praise team's going to sing. You prayerfully fill these out. And then I'm going to ask you, once you fill them out, to come put them right here. This is kind of like our altar today, okay? So just when you get done filling them out, go ahead and bring them up here. Praise team's going to sing. 
that so moves my heart. Seeing people just dedicate and commit to the Lord so moves my heart. Thank you so much for your listening to the Lord and doing what God would have you to do. Thank you for being in God's house today on this Commitment Sunday, these commitments for one year. Pray that God gives us the strength and the ability to, to do that for the year. Pass all these tests. Father, I thank you for people whose heart is yearning to please you, to be committed to you, to be sold out to you, to be dependable and faithful to you. God, endeavor, endeavor to help us, we pray, and keep Satan from us, keep his discouragements away, help us to be obedient in Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna ask that um, Joe and uh, our trustees meet back in my office just briefly. That's not going to be very long, but I need to meet with you there. So that being the case, I won't be at the back door right now today, but God bless you. Thank you for being in God's house. May you have a great rest of the Lord's day. Thank you. You're dismissed. Mm-hmm.